All right, Constable uh, Zahira Baji from the RCMP, uh, one of our sisters that also wears hijab um, on the job uh, and in her life. And uh, so we're excited to uh, connect with you. Um, you may be aware that the Muslim community uh, in all our masajid throughout uh, British Columbia has a, a long-standing relationship with the RCMP and with the Vancouver Police Department and Transit Police. And whenever there are issues of... Uh, Islamophobic attacks on, on Muslims or vandalism of, of the mosque, the, the RCMP is very professional, very quick, very fast to come uh, with their support and help uh, uh, the Muslim community when it comes to uh, crimes or potential crimes against the Muslim community. So it's an honor for you to join us now uh, to discuss your story of how uh, you came to uh, make a career and uh, decide to join the RCMP as a Muslim uh, sister to, to make that choice to, to go into law enforcement. So please, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and maybe talking about a bit of your background and your journey to decide to become uh, a police officer with the RCMP. Uh, my journey started about four years ago. I was studying criminology and at that time I had come in contact with some RCMP officers. And I know growing up in the Muslim community, calling the police when it was one of the last resources you did. It was more, okay, look at everything else and don't call the police unless your life is in danger. And I didn't like that perspective. So when I started studying criminology and I came across some of those prof professors and the perspective they showed, it was they're there for every help that they can give to the public. And Seeing that, I wanted to change our perspective. I know most Muslim people had towards um, police officers. And I had studied Islamic studies for about six years as well. And I knew that there's a bridge that we need to connect through with RCMP and the Muslim community. So I thought that this would be a good chance where I could do that and hopefully, inshallah, build that trust between both sides and make this um, burnt and like generally RCMP knowledgeable of Islam and our values and how they can help Muslim women in general apply and accommodate their needs. So that's how it started about four years ago. So I studied criminology and then I decided to go through with the application. It was definitely a tough one. It was very long. Not many people generally support a woman in a hijab to go and do something that's a male dominated job. But Alhamdulillah, I had my parents, my husband, who supported me throughout everything. And once you get in there, you realize that they value people from minorities so much and they try to accommodate you in every way possible. When I was there in training, I never had an issue. If I had to pray Salah, I would tell one of the facilitators or one of the instructors and they would say, just leave your, your religion, your values that you've been growing up with have way more value over everything else. And they would always say, incorporate that, keep that within you, and then go from there. Wow, that is amazing. So the inclusivity, the respect for not only you as an individual, but you as a Muslim and your beliefs and your uh, responsibilities for worship and prayers, that they, they, they advocated and they supported uh, our religious um, obligations and in, in prayer times that I'm sure, uh, especially even in the wintertime, as you know, uh, Zohar, Asr, Maghrib are so close together and you'd have to kind of step out of uh, exams and, uh, and trainings uh, to be able to do your prayers, correct? 
kind of out of your comfort zone and knowing that if something something's important to you like our religion just don't push that away push that aside to achieve something else keep that always your goal always first and everything just falls into place after that and you know what's interesting you mentioned uh, your your thought that there needed to be a bridge between law enforcement and the muslim community especially for sisters and so um, we had a previous interview with uh, Corporal Anthony Statham from the RCMP hate crimes. And part of our discussion was um, the perception of police, especially a lot of uh, our families um, that, that are from other countries around the world and that have immigrated to Canada. The perception is uh, we shouldn't engage police because in the home countries, it's a, it's a, a more of a problem to engage police than, 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 than to just let it alone. And then here in Canada, a lot of our media uh, is dominated by American news. And we see a lot of um, uh, American police, in particular, a lot of violence against, uh, you know, protesters or, or other minority groups. So there is a reluctance, I would say, in, in uh, Canadian society and also our Muslim society to engage police because it, it seems that, uh, that uh, there could be... Uh, there could be more problems than than solutions uh, engaging with police. And then even within Canada, um, if we do have a problem and we call the police, um, again, a, a lot of Muslims are worried that, you know, there might be some further surveillance or investigation or whatever the case may be because we're Muslims. Could you maybe address some of the stereotypes from what you've seen from your perspective of maybe reluctance of our Muslim community to engage law enforcement? I think one thing, one biggest thing which I experienced in general was, I think we always thought that they wouldn't understand us and our religion. And because of the stereotype of Islamophobia, they always thought that if we called police, things will go against us. I think that was one. And I think another one was general female is they always thought, I know in the Muslim community, a lot of them wear hijab, they don't like to touch men. And they always thought that, okay, if we call police and something goes bad, then we'll have that whole entire entire situation where the men are going to touch you, the male, female, um, male police officers. But working with them, I'm probably in my watch, I'm probably one of the few female police officers. And whenever it comes to searching a female or searching another woman, a, a male police officer will never do that. He'll never search unless there's nobody available. They will always call a female. So I know that that was one of the biggest issue in the Muslim community is that they thought that, okay, a male will have to touch us if something went bad or in certain situations, if you call uh, police officers because somebody's injured, that was a whole nother thing is they didn't want to involve the police because they were like, okay, now this is going to happen. I'm going to take off my hijab or this, it was all of these situations. And I think another thing was Muslims believe if you call the police and you have an interaction with police, your respect is gone, but they don't realize that just because you have an interaction with police doesn't mean you have a criminal record doesn't mean that now you're on their radar. So I think these are some of the stuff that's a very big issue in the Muslim community. And, uh, and just anecdotally with your daily, like when you're wearing your uniform, you're out in the public, you're wearing your hijab. Um, have you had other Muslims come up to you and, and just kind of ask you questions about you know, you being a Muslim uh, police officer and, and non-Muslims just in the general public, not in the police force, but people that engage you as, as a uniformed police officer in your workday. If you can maybe just describe how those interactions are when, if they ask you about Muslims and Islam. 
I think from the very beginning, from the time I was in training in Depot, it was just weird looks. They kind of thought of me as an alien, someone completely different. And then as they start to get to know you, they realize that, hey, this person is just like us. They're human. They just have different faith, different values. But at the end of the day, they're just like us. And especially when I wear my uniform and I'm walking in the mall or something, I just get the weirdest looks. People just look at me and they don't stop staring until I pass by. But I guess it's new for them. And especially with the stereotypes and Islamophobia on media, it's going to take a lot for people to get used to it. But I feel like this is one of the probably the first steps where we can build the trust, not just with the police and the Muslim community, but in the general community to make them realize that we're here to serve and protect our country as well. Agreed. And you know, for the, the Muslim sisters, the, the the younger girls that are looking at uh, careers for their lives, and and perhaps you could be a role model for them um, to to be like, you know, you're one of the the uh, the the people that they could look up to. That uh, that uh, here we have uh, Constable Zahira, a Muslim sister that wears a job confidently, uh, practicing Muslim, and uh, respected by the RCMP and and a police officer. For the Muslims that you've you've kind of come across in your in your workday, um, have have you had uh, sister, uh, Muslims come up to you and approach you and engage you because you are Muslim? I haven't. I I work in Burnaby, so um, the Muslim population is a lot less than everywhere else. Um, I've gone to a few calls where there have been Muslims, and I know just speaking another language, and I know having a Muslim female hijabi being there puts them in comfort to be able to tell the police exactly what's actually really going on. Because a few times I had gone there and it was a language barrier and being able to speak another language, being able to kind of give them a little bit of comfort. I know that there's few females who said that, oh, can I speak to her instead of anyone else? And I know it's, it's, it kind of puts a person mind to ease knowing that somebody will actually understand them because they're from that background. Absolutely. And, uh, and in terms of your uh, particular, um, you know, with, with all the, uh, uh, like in, in your workday, would, would you have to go on like calls? Are they typically, are they like traffic stops? Are they house kind of visits? Like in your day, uh, in the responsibilities as, as, as an RCMP constable, what, what would, where would you have to go? What would you have to do typically? Just so people get an understanding of the job. My call, my day is varies from everything. We'll be doing traffic stops. So if there's no calls, then we'll be doing traffic stops, trying to look for people who are driving dangerously. And then when calls come in, you're going to be going to calls. And then sometimes you just report writing at home or in the office, it varies every day. And it's every day is, is different. It's never going to be the same. And, and if you could, uh, like, obviously with, with regards to, you know, it is a dangerous job as well, potentially, because um, you won't know from uh, kind of incident to incident what could happen. And so um, on the scale of kind of, the the danger for the job i guess that that comes as part of the territory as being an rcmp officer there could be at any given time uh some sort of uh interaction that could be dangerous for you yeah there's it's a it's a very unexpected job it, any a simple small call can turn into something very dangerous 
But I guess that's why you get trained for six months to look out and never just go into a call and think, oh, it's just a well-being call or just something small. They've, they've trained you to think always that situations can change. Um, it's never going to be one situation. So having that training, it kind of, especially when you work in lower mainland, you have backup. So if there's backup available, you always take backup. And being a female, I generally have had this conversation with my trainer and other people working there. They say, you, if a female was to go to a call and the, call, the caller was a male, we most likely will have a, a male, other units go there only because sometimes there's people who have this mentality, oh, she's a female, we can do anything. So generally it's, it's really good in the sense that there's other people always listening as well. And then they will go to those calls and your training always kicks in, no matter how much you think, oh, you don't, your training doesn't, it always kicks in to always be observant and know what's going on. That's amazing. And, and for those that are considering uh, uh, applying for the RCMP, maybe if you could describe the process of, of what you need to do to become an RCMP officer, man or woman, what are the steps? What are the prerequisites? And what, is the, what, what does the training look like as well? The prerequisite is grade 12. But I generally would say maybe get another education just because when you have more education, you tend to have a broader perspective and just not that narrow minded. That Okay, I'm just going to do this. You're able to have a little bit more experience about what's out there. After that, you start doing the application. The applications, it's a lengthy process. But throughout the process, they put those hurdles in so you give up because they have so many applications coming in every year that they need to kind of filter out those people who aren't meant for the job. But it's about staying on top of it. Sometimes I had to do, redo my application 10 to 15 times. And it's frustrating, but you have wow. to keep on going because at the end of the day, when you get there, that's how they filter you out. They kind of, even the tiniest mistakes, they don't really matter, but they just want to see if you have an IT detail and how frustrated you get, or do you have the patience to do this job? And once you get throughout that process, you have um, a lie detector test, you have psychological tests, you have the entrance exam, and then you have the security clearance. And then once you get there, it's a six month program. And it's definitely probably one of the hardest things anyone will do. It's the training it itself is not hard, but you got to put the hard work in. Like anyone can do it as long as you know that this, training you can't just sleep and just not bother doing the work you have to put the hard work and be consistent in everything you do because the <laughs> training is not just studying there's physical there's firearms driving every aspect and, and, then and what would what would the physical uh, what would the physical like is it kind of like army basic training where you're doing obstacle courses or or what would be the physical requirement uh, for people and then as you mentioned driving uh, firearms so it seems like a very comprehensive training so for the physical um we have something called a pair test and it is an obstacle course um and when you first start you have to be at the bare minimum so you should be able to complete that pair test within five minutes and then as you go along, you'll have those tests a few more times and you have to be cutting your time down to, I believe, under four minutes. Now, if you're, it's different for male and female, just generally because the way we've been built and there's um, 
vaults you have to climb. And if you're a short person, I'm generally a person who's very small. I'm about 5'1", 90 pounds. So you, it's possible for everyone to do it, but you just have to work a lot harder. So the physical was probably one of my hardest points. It was just that I just had to work a lot harder because I was smaller. And that physical test is made for an average six foot person. So I, I've got to say, right from the top, very commendable, the persistence 10 or 15 times with your with your uh, application to, to persevere in spite of the obstacles. And then number two, uh, with your height and, and, and your weight, obviously, uh, you know, some people would, would look at themselves maybe maybe I, I should be taller or, 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 or you know, whatever the case may be. But even in spite of whatever perceived uh, limitations, you, you persevered. And for somebody that should be like the testing is designed for somebody who's six foot and, and for you to be able to accomplish it, it's, it, that's a very impressive accomplishment. I would say like very impressive that, that, that one, your perseverance, and then also even in spite of uh, these type of obstacles and testing and, uh, and what have you that is designed for, for people that would be, be taller or bigger that you were able to accomplish and, and, and pass these, these, these very serious tests. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's not, it's possible for everyone. I always said this to everyone is at the end of the day, if you have a lot in your life and you, every hurdle you have, instead of going about it the wrong way, just making dua for it. Because I remember the last month of my training, it was supposed to be Ramadan. And that worry of how, because last two weeks is carbine training and it's holding a 50 pound gun with 50 pound hard, hard body armor for 10 hours a day. And I remember thinking, it, how will I be able to do it? But it was never about, okay, I'm not going to fast. I'm going to put my religion aside. And I'll do this. It was always, no, I'll put that first. And then I remember I ended up having to come home because of COVID. And sometimes you think things are impossible, but nothing's impossible if you put your mind to it and you do it with the right intention. Amazing. And, and your family, as you said, your, your family and your husband, uh, a lot of uh, support structure as well uh, to help you through the process. Yes. And, and basically, um, in terms of the RCMP across Canada, how many overall women would you say are part of the RCMP? And, uh, and then specifically, how many Muslim women are, are part of the RCMP? I think in general, it's about 20% women. Um, and women, uh, Muslim women, I think it's probably less than 1%. Less than 1%. Would you say in British Columbia, are there any Muslim sisters that, that are police officers uh, with the I RCMP? There's about two. Oh, wow. That's great. And, and have you interacted with them? Have you met them? No, I personally have not interacted with them. So, so you, you do definitely know too. And then for the, the male police officers, um, the RCMP officers, I do know Officer Zuber, who's with the gang squad, but um, in your kind of uh, you know, interactions with other RCMP, are there a lot of male um, uh, RCMP, RCMP officers that are Muslim? Yeah, I think it's a lot more than women, for sure. Got it. And I'm sure uh, similar challenges as, as you've had with Ramadan, with uh, 
praying and and fasting uh, and still doing your training, doing your job in spite of our religious obligations. So I'm sure there's a lot in common with, with the other Muslim uh, officers. Now, just going back to uh, women in the police force, uh, in terms of like for those that are considering uh, being a police officer, what are the the benefits or the package? Uh, I don't know if you're able to share what the maybe the starting salary packages or the medical and dental or other benefits. Uh, if you'd like to share that, please do. Um, with salary, I'm not able to discuss all of that, but I know I can discuss. We do get medicals. You do get extended benefits, especially with our job. It's hard on our body. We're wearing 60 pounds of um, duty gear, our armor. So it's hard on our knees. So they do give us all the extended benefits. But the only problem is, is generally we're a very big police force. So they try to do as much as they possibly can. In terms of the, uh, the, uh, the long-term career and career advancement, what would be your long-term goal? Because obviously there's different levels of law enforcement and you, you serve this many years and then you can be promoted to the different levels. What would you say would be your career path that you would like to achieve uh, moving up in the RCMP? Inshallah, I'm hoping I can start working with youth because before I started RCMP, I was working at Masjid Rahma, teaching um, teenagers Quran and just doing youth halqas. So I'm hoping that I can hopefully go back to that. And during my time in teaching, I realized that teenagers don't always want to just go and do bad things. Sometimes they just need that attention. They need somebody to answer all those questions that they have. So I'm hoping that inshallah, I can somehow work as an RCMP officer and go back into the youth. We have a youth team in Burnaby, so I'm hoping that I can go back into the youth team. Fantastic. So that is a passion with youth. And you brought up a very good uh, subject. Uh, when it, Now, youth, as, as we know, growing up in Canada, we're faced with many challenges. So one is drugs and, and alcohol and, and, and gang and criminal activity. And, and probably in, in the course of your, your work, uh, you probably are aware of addiction uh, and also mental health, as well as uh, criminal activity, uh, not only in the Muslim community, but in the general community. But maybe let's focus on the Muslim community based on what you've seen and the challenges Muslim youth are facing. Uh, it could be Islamophobia, bullying, or again, uh, drug and alcohol or addiction or criminal activity. Please uh, talk about some of the challenges our Muslim youth are facing. Yeah, I there's quite a few. And as um, our RCMP officer, the first six months, you have to do a community profile project. And I was hoping to do that project on mental health inside the Muslim community. And I think one of the biggest challenges we have is we don't know the resources that are available in the community. So when parents, or come along with these challenges where the kids are gone into drugs or they see that they're not doing where they're not supposed to be where they are. I think what ends up happening is parents don't know which direction to go to, where to go to for the resources. And then before they realize it's too late or they just don't know what to do anymore. So I think one of the things is um, not having the resources and another problem right now I feel like is it's not acknowledged enough in our Muslim community that there are issues, there are problems and children getting into drugs and gangs. It's not only just because they want to, sometimes it can be a mental health problem. 
And I feel like in our community, we don't recognize a mental health issue. We tend to say, oh, there's no such thing. But I feel like we need to put that out there that there is something. And you, when there are challenges, when you see somebody going through it, you, you can't, there is a stigma already with mental health, but not say, oh, there's nothing, you're fine. So I think those are the biggest challenges right now with the youth, especially. And what would you say are the resources and the support that could help youth with mental health issues and drug and alcohol addiction issues or, or gang issues? What resources uh, could we help them with? So I know one of the biggest ones right now is RCMP officers. Like every school will have a liaison officer. And if they're going through any issues, bullying, Islamophobia, they can go to those officers and talk to them, especially because those officers will make sure that things don't get worse. And would you say that bullying and Islamophobia obviously exacerbate mental health issues because kids uh, going through puberty and, and uh, the challenges and uh, peer pressure and, uh, and then being bullied or uh, people making Islamophobic com comments like uh, terrorist or Osama bin Laden or uh, ISIS or whatever kind of derogatory ways to kind of um, uh, demean uh, Muslims or ridicule Muslims uh, in the public by non-Muslims. Uh, that would probably exacerbate uh, mental health problems. Would you say so? Yeah. And, and, and just in terms of other support, obviously you are uh, just prior to being an RCMP officer working with the youth. What are, what are resources that we as a Muslim community or, or other resources out there with the province or with the city, the various municipalities, whether Burnaby, Surrey, Vancouver, how can we connect youth with, with various services that, uh, that, that could help them with, with mental health issues, with bullying, and with, uh, with, with these type of problems? I think there's quite a few Muslim resources available now than there was before. I know one of them is Nisa Helpline. Then there's um, a few other, uh, that I don't remember at the top of my head, but I think just normalizing that fact that having mental health issues, having problems is not something that, okay, now that, this person's going to be looked down upon or you're going to lose your respect. I think that's the biggest thing in our Muslim community is, oh, if I go and get help, my respect's going to go down. But they got to realize that there's a bigger picture. You can't be thinking about that. And it's just making everyone realize that when you feel a certain way, you're not supposed to kind of just push it away, rather go and get help. So I feel like it's just giving knowledge, making everyone aware of what's going on, especially because I know a lot of parents are first generation immigrants, so they don't know about the situation and what happens in Canada. So just making them knowledgeable of what's going on, what's out there would help a lot. Um, another resource is the Muslim Care Center and the Muslim Care Center Addiction Recovery Team. Uh, you may or may not be aware. So from a counseling perspective and youth counselors and, and peer support, uh, and social worker support. Uh, we have uh, Brother Shaquille Khan, uh, we have uh, Sister Hira Rashid, and we have Sister Nabila Jaffer. And these are qualified um, uh, social workers and, um, and peer support uh, Muslims that can help uh, uh, with, and, and they have a, a track record uh, with mental health issues, addiction issues, youth issues. So those are resources that we can point uh, you know, when you do interact with people that, that want uh, Muslim specific 
support. And then in addition to uh, the work we've done, we came across um, uh, two gentlemen, Brother Hauer and Brother Gian, who are uh, leading our Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous 12-step uh, group, which is every Thursday night at around 7.30 p.m. And it's by invitation on Zoom. It was in person at the, uh, the Surrey uh, Public Library in one of the rooms that we uh, rented on a weekly basis to host a group. But since the pandemic, it's virtual. So that's another resource for those that that the 12-step program, uh, which is very powerful and has, uh, I would say, an 80-year track record of success. Uh, so that's led by uh, Brother Hauer and also Brother Gian. And then separately, we have an imam. Uh, Imam Fouad from Langley Islamic Center, who uh, uh, dealt with his addiction. He was uh, uh, prescribed opioid painkillers, uh, which wound up, uh, even though it was a legal prescription, but the doctor overprescribed him and he became addicted. So he was able to seek help and get a cure for his addiction with the plant-based uh, medicine with uh, something called Ibogaine which is classified as a psychedelic under uh, professional supervision. So we have multiple, I would say it's called a multidisciplinary approach to, uh, to kind of look at all the various resources within our Muslim community from professional resources to, to get help. And then we have also a doctor, his name is Dr. Uh, Osama Elanezi, who's originally Kuwaiti, uh, but he has his practice on Burrard and Davy. But uh, prior to the pandemic, he would take his staff to the downtown east side and he would do free HIV and hep C uh, tests for the, the people on the downtown east side and uh, also help them if they would like to kick their drug or alcohol addiction, help them with, uh, with traditional uh, approaches uh, uh, within his medical practice, whether it's uh, methadone or suboxone or, or various other treatment modalities uh, from the traditional medical um, uh, training to help uh, the people. Uh, because the biggest thing about addiction is the fear of withdrawal pains. And so to help um, people that do want to kick the habit uh, with uh, dealing with withdrawal. So we do have a doctor on the team who can help with that. So at least within the Muslim community, in case you're not aware, these are resources that, that you can direct uh, people to Muslims and non-Muslims. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, inshallah, I'll get those lists from you um, because I am new and I would like it that the RCMP know that these are specific resources that we can refer Muslims towards. And it'd be great to just kind of have the resources in one. So it's easier to kind of refer everyone to. Exactly. And then also in addition to that, because the Muslim Care Center is a program of the Muslim Food Bank and Aspire. And so we do have uh, psychologists on staff and other uh, professional counselors. So what we'll do is we're preparing what we call uh, an addiction multidisciplinary, uh, sorry, a mental health and addiction multidisciplinary playbook. And why we're preparing this with all the resources we have here in the Lower Mainland is uh, people uh, like this podcast that uh, uh, that we're speaking to you on, uh, the kind of message about uh, Islamophobia and mental health and addictions, we have other podcasts that deal with that, has reached uh, Alberta. And so, again, addiction is in every community, every city across Canada and, and throughout the world. And so um, our Muslim community is looking for uh, Muslim content that can help support the communities from their city. So tonight we're having a webinar that's uh, 
uh, Imam Fawad is going to talk about his opioid addiction and how he beat his opioid addiction and talk about the work, the other multidisciplinary approach that we have at the care center, that uh, how we can support our community with mental health challenges, addiction challenges. So hopefully some of the work all of us are working on together uh, can be duplicated in other cities across Canada. So that's our goal. And, and what we would like to ask of you, if you know of any other resources within the Muslim community or the non-Muslim community that we could add to our resource list, I think that could uh, be very helpful. So if you have anything off the top of your head, please tell us. Um, the only one I currently know um, is that RCMP can help. There's victim services as well. So victim services helps anybody who's a victim or if you're going through anything, they will give you resources that they have available in your city. And, and people get a hold of victim services. How does that happen? And, and is there like some sort of intake form or does somebody call them? And then how do they, and what do the victim services entail? So there's usually no form or anything like that. Um, if you were to able to get in contact, if you're a youth in high school still, get in contact with your school liaison officer, they would get you in touch with it. And if you're the general public, then you could either go to the front counter of, any police office or if you had an interaction with a police officer then they usually will give you the direct um, number to victim services great and 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 when it says victim services what would those services be exactly so the services they have a whole bunch so if somebody was a let's say uh, a victim of an assault then they would give um, resources to transition homes if someone's a victim of drugs or alcohol addiction then they'll give you rehab um, contacts. So it's for everything, every single problem that you would be going through, they have resources that would help you to get, up, get out of those problems. And, and we talked about Islamophobia and bullying. What would be the resources for, for that? Like hate crimes, Islamophobia and bullying? Yeah, so we have a special section like you talked earlier as well, um, hate crimes, Islamophobia. So they would connect you with those um, officers and they would help you through it and they would bring awareness of what's going on. So that one person who went through something hopefully wouldn't go through it again. And and in, in terms of um, systemic racism, and this is a, a term that comes up that institutions, government institutions, uh, private sector, some sort of um, systemic bias against maybe uh, people of color, uh, minorities, uh, religious groups like the Muslim community. Um, part of our, our desire and our goal with this interview with you is just to showcase the diversity we have in our Muslim community and that obviously systemic racism, uh, how we mitigate that is we become part of the government. We become part of law enforcement because the law enforcement will know who we are and how we uh, conduct ourselves. And, and uh, just as you said, uh, you, you've attained nothing but support from the RCMP to celebrate your, our religious and uh, cultural identities. And so our goal here by showcasing your story is to highlight to our community and the non-Muslim community that how well uh, uh, established we are in terms of being part of government and law enforcement institutions. And if you'd like to maybe address that, uh, I, it seems like that was your goal in the beginning was to be somebody who's officially in a capacity to, to, to not just report to the police, but be an actual police officer. So maybe you could just elaborate on that a bit more. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And 
there's something my dad always taught me. And he said, if you want to preach your religion, you can't just go standing on the street and scream to people to try and make them listen. What you have to do is you have to show them who you really are. You have to show them that you're a human being. And the best way to do it nowadays, especially with the media and the Islamophobia, is to become a part of them and show them through your characteristic. But during the process, not forgetting who you are. Because during the process of becoming, getting somewhere to establish and show other people, it's, it's going to be a sacrifice. It's not going to be something that's going to come easy, especially because you're going to be a part of the minority. But it's about establishing yourself, but at the same time, not forgetting who you are and who, what your roots are. So at the end of the day, it's you will go through difficulties. You will have to make sacrifices. But at the end of the day, you have to realize your bigger goal. You can't just be, oh, I'm here to establish something. If I have to, in the process of it, if I have to forget certain things, that's fine. No, you have to always continue having your roots. Because at the end of the day, when you get there, you have to realize that if you don't have those roots, your goal, your goal you've kind of diminished your goal because once you get up there, you're not gonna realize why you actually did what you did. And a prime example of that is during my training, praying Salah was probably one of the hardest things because you had that gear, you had to take off your boots. And anyone could have easily said, hey, you know what? It's fine, I'll just do qada of my Salah later. But it was about going up to the teachers and saying, hey, look, I pray five times a day. And that was a way of doing da'wah and teaching them what kind of values we have and what kind of responsibilities we have as Muslims. Even now, currently, when I work, they will see me praying salah and they will say it. First, in the beginning, people will give you weird looks. They will stare you down. They'll say, oh, they'll kind of make you feel as if you're doing something wrong, but you have to stick to your roots to be able to make that change. And you're right. And your character and commitment, no matter your circumstance, the first and foremost matter is that we are practicing Muslims in Canada and we should never hide who we are. Yeah. Never forgetting our deen and our roots. That's the main point. Do you have any advice for Muslim girls or Muslim women who would want to join the RCMP? Do something you have a passion towards. Because when you do something you love, you have a passion towards, that job won't be a job anymore. That's going to be a hobby. That's going to be something you wake up every day and you want to make a difference. And at the same time, while making a difference, you're going to be growing and becoming a better person and helping people around you. So I think that's my biggest advice is do something. It doesn't have to be law enforcement. It can be anything. But have the right intention and do something you love. And and apparently you love law enforcement because it you are interacting with the public in, in a very authoritative way, but in a compelling way, because uh, just who you are as a person, as an, uh, as a visible Muslim sister wearing hijab, that, that, that is a powerful dawah without you even having to say anything. And there was something I did want to discuss and we haven't discussed yet is that uh, with Islamophobia, the way that it is right now, um, just uh, I received a report yesterday that two Muslim sisters in hijab were attacked uh, in West Edmonton Mall in Edmonton, where they were pulled out of their car and they were punched by uh, a white uh, person, a white man. And so again, uh, here's a man, uh, 
pulling Muslim sisters wearing hijab out of their car and, and punching them. Uh, law enforcement obviously uh, intervened and, and, and helped, but uh, these things are, are sadly happening on, on a regular basis. You know, the cases with the, the two sisters or, or possibly more sisters that have been assaulted here that wear hijab. Uh, with that in mind, uh, because Muslims that wear hijab, sisters that wear hijab, uh, do become targets because people know identifiably that uh, that uh, the sisters are Muslims, and uh, they might be singled out to verbal abuse or or physical abuse, which happened in that case. Please uh, please discuss that because I'm sure you're aware of these cases. I do believe any minority groups are a target. But it's just making sure that you do stuff that ensures your safety. Like maybe not going out after a certain time. It's only because we're a minority and we are our target. That's something we can't deny. But in that process, we, we can't be afraid and say, okay, I'm not gonna wear the hijab anymore because I'm a target. Because if everyone starts to do that, we're going back again we have to start normalizing wearing a hijab so everyone is okay with it. So nobody is a target anymore. It may not be in this generation, but for the generations to come, we have to make that sacrifice to make it normalized and make it that the future generations aren't a target anymore. Absolutely. And I'm not sure if you've traveled to um, the United Kingdom and you see Muslim sisters from hijab to niqab and and uh, in every facet of society, law enforcement, uh, at the airport, in, 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 in every government type role, uh, lawyers, doctors, and they're very prominent. And uh, I know in Vancouver, it's less so. Muslims are, are less prominent, I would say, maybe in, in the lower mainland as we are maybe in Toronto or in other more dense uh, Muslim populations in the West. Um, but, but for you as, as, as a foundational uh, a Muslim sister that 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 is wearing the hijab as uh, an RCMP officer, it's commendable and it's foundational and inspiring for uh, our our current and future generations to to kind of look up to you as a role model. And and would you be open to if if other sisters would like to get your advice um, on maybe a career in law enforcement that we could potentially connect them to you to connect to resources for hiring and recruiting for RCMP. Of course, that's not a problem at all. And another thing I would like to say is tell everyone that whatever you guys want to do, it's go ahead and do it as long as you know you're doing the right thing. And don't let others stop you from doing what you want to do because there will always be people who want to stop you. But at the end of the day, do what is right and do it to make a difference. Well, on that note, you are making a difference. And um, I wanted to thank Sister Wahiba, who, uh, who's our self-defense instructor for our, our, our Muslim women's self-defense course with Yo Bro Yo Girl. She was the one that gave us your contact uh, because she wanted us to, to kind of connect with you. And if there are any other Muslim sisters that you come across that you think would be appropriate for an interview, we would uh, be happy to do so because to share your story in this long form kind of way, I think is inspiring for our community. So I wanted to say thank you, uh, Sister Zahira. Uh, keep up the good work and, uh, and we will share those resources we discussed with you earlier. No problem. And inshallah, if there's anything I can do, any, I know you guys were saying you guys go downtown east side, I would for sure love to help out.
Absolutely. And uh, we can arrange it. And maybe even, uh, I know your jurisdiction is Burnaby, but uh, uh, with the Muslim Care Centre, which is on Maine and Hastings, uh, we could arrange a time for a tour and meet our team. So uh, we can offline, we can arrange a time and love for you to come over and meet the team. For sure, inshallah. Thank you, Sister Zahira or Constable Zahira. Thank you again. And, uh, and looking forward to our next discussion.